and welcome to Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And our super producer, Riley Bray. Oh, welcome, guys, and get excited because not only do we have a deep dive for you today that is a long time coming. Yeah. we have it's a week. It's a theme week. It's Elvis week on Bigfoot Collectors Club. Oh, I'm so excited! And we, I know we. I mean, Bryce, it's like Bryce's must, birthday, basically. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna really try Christmas. to just like. I'm not gonna be in the back seat of this episode. I'm just gonna ride on the bumper. I'm just gonna oh. be all the way in the back for this yes, one on the because of that beautiful Cadillac and just yeah, let it ride. Right, exactly. All the all the way to Graceland. <laughs> um and we have an amazing guest to join us this week, not only on this episode, but over on the other side on Friday as well. Yes. Get ready, Club Scouts. This is gonna be a real doozy. Uh but before we get to that, I just want to say thanks to everybody who came out to our live show on March eleventh. That was a blast. Mm-hmm. And if you missed the show you might have missed the announcement that we have brand new merch up in our merch store the new official bigfoot collectors club t-shirt with our beautiful logo by ryan Mm -hmm. smallman is now available as official merch so head over to store.bigfootcollectorsclub.com and get yeah, might, John. Okay, everybody, let's get into it. Our guest this week is returning to the show to deliver this age-old promise from Minx, Creep Show, Baby Sharks, Big Show, a million other things, but most importantly, Twin Peaks, The Return. Please welcome back friend of the show, actor extraordinaire, Eric Edelstein. Eric, thank you for being here. Hi, friends. How are you? I'm so fired up. Now, do we remember exactly how we teased? I think it was about four years ago we teased doing an Elvis episode with the two of you. I think Bryce knows that really the world has just scratched the surface with the king. And there's so much people don't know and so much of what kind of mainstream pop culture gives us that really isn't indicative of how deep Elvis was. Well, and when I found out Eric was a, was a lifelong Elvis fan too. I mean, it's, it's like an instant bonding. It's just like, it's an unexplainable thing. You know, you're just like, Oh, I know you and you know me. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah, someone's an Elvis guy, what they are. That's right. This episode airs three days, maybe I guess four days, depending on how you count, after the Oscars. So by this point, we'll know whether or not Austin Butler has won for his oh, performance wow. in Elvis. Which, which I, I love, or, by the way. Which I am literally 22 minutes into as of this recording. I put it on. Perfect prep, Michael. Yeah. Or put it on for dinner. I'm just we're on Beale Street still. Elvis is picking out suits and starting to steal some music. It's it's pretty fun. 
on. Aww. I'm into it. I don't know what's going on with Colonel Tom Parker, but uh, it's a, it's a wild performance, and I'm here for it. Yeah, I don't know, Bryce. I, mean, I, I I have such high standards, and I kind of went into the Elvis movie with my arms crossed for oh. Austin Butler. Yeah, and then I was just blown away. I thought he me, did such a too. great job. Me too. I couldn't agree more, man. And 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 you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, but I, I think with Baz Luhrmann, they got the story right because in my mind, the two most important songs. Uh, if, if, as an Elvis fan for me was if I can dream. And, and then when he sang unchained melody uh, towards the end of his life and, and to sort of make those highlight moments of the film was just like so poignant. And look to play Elvis is the impossible task. Uh, I remember I auditioned so long ago for the one that Jonathan Reese Myers got. And uh, man, uh. I, I auditioned to all shook up and I was like, I had that scene nailed down and, I had my hair in black. I was listening to Elvis on Sirius XM for like just months leading up to it. And, uh, but, but, but I, the Austin Butler, I think just did such an incredible job at just sort of capturing the essence of, of something that's of someone who's almost indescribable. The real question is, Bryce, did you take a heroic dose of psilocybin and then decide you were Elvis, <laughs> that you did get the part before you oh walked in God. there? Because that's how we know you got cast as Anakin Skywalker. I know. I should yes, have done that for Elvis. I know. But uh, maybe one day. I've, I've, been, I've been off the psychedelics for some time. Maybe it's time to come back. That's great. All right. Well, let's get into why we're all here this week. Let's get into Elvis Presley. Now, I know... That, Bryce, you have a very big episode, or should I say episodes, planned. But uh, I wanted to kick it off with a question. Mm. No, so I, I am pretty much, I don't know where Riley is on the Elvis spectrum. I, I assume more educated than I am. I am a pretty, pretty much an Elvis layman. I know the hit songs that everybody knows. I have a couple albums on vinyl. I can't get into too much detail about them. Um, you know, Quentin Tarantino had the old, I think it was a cut scene from Pulp Fiction where they're like, you're either an Elvis man or you're either an Elvis person or a Beatle person. And I'm a Beatle person. Like mm. I grew up with that. So Elvis is kind of a big blind spot for me. And when we were talking about doing an Elvis lives episode, I was thinking about when I was a kid, there were always these rumors that Elvis didn't die, that people were seeing him out and about and i was wondering do those stories have any kind of origin point in our culture because they don't seem to be as popular as they were when we were kids hmm. i don't know eric what do you think on that well the, if there's this guy orion who put out albums starting in like maybe 79 or 80 after elvis died and he kind of looks like elvis and he's wearing a zorro mask but the whole okay. thing was that he was Elvis. And this guy made a lot of money. And Orion was fair, fairly well known that, like, uh. you know, apparently Elvis faked his death to play county fairs. <laughs> so, like, get, <laughs> to get back to his roots? Or, yeah, to get back to his roots and look slightly different. And, like, <laughs> you know, he did kind of sound like him. But there's an amazing guy now on YouTube named John Cotner. J-O-N-C-O-T-N-E-R. And he kind of has the same wink, wink, nod, nod. I'm not Elvis. Get away from me, man. 
how dare you? Here's a song I wrote sounding just like the King. <laughs> right. And I've gotten definitely down a John Cotner rabbit hole. And then, you know, there were so many weird, weird things that went on with Elvis's death and, you know, that Bryce can get into, you know, and then the body was eventually moved and all this other stuff. I want to believe, mm. I want to believe that Elvis is training right now in another <laughs> version of the multiverse elvis is doing a stripped down album with rick rubin get re- getting ready to play vegas again yeah no totally <laughs> you know and i i think i i mentioned this to mike earlier too there what what you have to understand about about elvis is is so many people wanted to just emulate the man the hair the look the clothes the songs I mean, there are more Elvis clubs around the world than just about anything else. They they say that there's, you know, you, you could you could show a picture to anybody across the world and they'd know who it is. Jesus, Santa Claus, and Elvis Presley. You know, that's just how big he was globally. And so many people, I think, just, you know, wanted to hold on and, and capture this idea that somehow he might still be alive, you know? And when you really In true look blood. At, yeah. There was a care well in the books, the the Charlene Harris books, Elvis was a vampire and that mm. and he was called Bubba, but the the vampires turned him a little too late, so he was like really slow and kind of goofy. And the vampires <laughs> kind of kept him a secret because he wasn't super with it. Right, and that right. was like her way of explaining why people would still see Elvis because he's a vampire now. And they we, we didn't do it in the show. Alan Ball was like, Well, it's so hard to get someone that looks he'd have to look exactly like Elvis for the gag to work on right. screen, you know, so they just didn't they didn't do it. But well, speaking, I of love exa- that idea of like combining the supernatural with why Elvis might still be alive today. Oh, no, I think that's fantastic. And, and speaking of like a doppelganger on screen, there was this one uh, sort of famous uh, thing in, in, in Home Alone when um when uh, what's her name the 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 female actress uh Catherine something she's Catherine she's, O'Hara yes Hera? that's it yeah she's at the ticket line trying to get a ticket back home and there's a guy right behind her in a turtleneck who's got the beard and the hair and he does like an Elvis like uh, look to the side and people just went oh my god Elvis is a fucking extra <laughs> you know <laughs> but, but and there were people who tracked that down and they found out that that was actually a friend of Chris Columbus's and he had been a few of his movies but i mean you know people people dig into this stuff you know they they that just was... want it they want to like like ufo's mm-hmm. they want to believe but that was big when we were kids. Like in the eighties, it there were so many jokes that yeah. Elvis was still out there. Cartoons, and he was spotted comics, yeah, yep, that's right. There was a paperback that sold millions that came with a cassette tape, and mm. I remember it was one of the primo Art Bell episodes. That because Art <laughs> oh, was in cool. is Elvis in Kalamazoo? Is he there? What, <laughs> what does he do to spend his time? East of the Rockies, but right. that. He- this thing sold a ton and it was called is Elvis alive and art bell would play the tape. And it was always somebody, you know, kind of sounded like Elvis. I had to do it. I was too famous, but it, it definitely was so deeply in the zeitgeist. 
Now, I briefly, mean, Ghostbusters. It was so big, it's in Ghostbusters. Where is Elvis? That, have you seen him lately? Yeah. Yes, where right. is Elvis, this is what I'm and saying. have you seen him lately? Yeah, that's yes. fantastic. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I, Bryce, I know you're champing at, chomping at the bit here. Let's hear a little, instead of personal paranormal history from, from, from Eric, what is your personal Elvis history? And, Bryce, jump in here, too. Great. Where? How did you guys... And, Riley, I, we haven't heard from you about your relationship with Elvis. Well, we'll let the experts uh, chime in okay. first, but I, I'm definitely a fan overall. I will say for sure. But yeah, let's 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 hear it from the uh, the, the true Elvis heads. Well, I, 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 as I meant, I'll mention it in in my story. Uh, so I'll let Eric take this one. Eric, when did you first sort of you know become aware and and fall in love with Elvis Presley? When I was a real little kid, mm. like three, four, mm. my parents would put on Elvis movies. I would want to be called Elvis. I had like this <laughs> R- 33 RPM of Elvis doing wow. spin out. And I just always, always loved Elvis. Wow. And I just thought he was the coolest. And then in college, the basketball road trip, I got to go to Graceland. And that just felt like a miracle. And then my last year there, my buddy got me super into Elvis What Happened. Mm. And that was... A uh, uh, kind of funny side of Elvis that really took me toward the parts of Elvis that we don't talk about enough. Mm. What is Elvis? It, what happened? Yeah, uh, Elvis. W- what happened was a tell-all written by his bodyguards about three right. months before he passed out. Red, Red West, West was his best friend yeah. from high school on, and wrote a few of his songs. If every day was like Christmas, uh, Sunny West, his cousin, and Dave Hebler who's a Kempo karate teacher. And Elvis went down some hilarious roads and by, byways in his karate days mm. that are its own show. But mm. once I got that book and I kind of realized how funny some of this Elvis stuff and what an incredible heart he had. Oh like my this God. guy, honestly. And so for me, one of the most exciting things I ever got to do out here was I did the drunk history telling of Elvis getting his badge. Mm, and i had put off doing drunk history for a long time i did not want to be drunk publicly my buddies do the show and then they kind of went to me and said look we're going to do elvis this year we love you we understand if you don't want to do it but we would just want to give you first crack and the (laughs) idea of somebody else doing elvis i hated it so much i i did it for that show and it was telling the incredible story of him getting his badge from nixon and him starting to fight crime afterward. The and federal Elvis narcotics really, badge. Yeah. Yes. And, and it's hilarious. The whole the whole thing. The Which way they don't really it, hand out to anyone, you know. No. Just so you know. <laughs> it was uh, an animation superstar. Yeah. Um, Paul Fries, who does a million cartoon voices and also most famous is, There are no windows and no doors. Oh, wow. Well, Elvis saw Paul yep. Freeze and everyone was buzzing around Paul Freeze because of a federal narcotics badge. And wow. then, as we know, it became Elvis's consuming drive in life to get one of these badges. Well, and so he the- went right to Nixon. Yeah, because you could fly <laughs> anywhere with anything, guns and drugs, which Elvis both loved. Uh, now, when I say <laughs> now when I say drugs, it's a different thing back then because this is before the Betty Ford Clinic, and and Elvis did never consider drugs drugs. As a matter of fact, he was very anti drugs, 
And that's how he approached Nixon. I want to help uh, get the youth today off of drugs. Meanwhile, he's got a what he called the kit, uh, which is like a, a doctor's bag filled to the brim with everything. And by his bedside, he had a pharmacological encyclopedia. So, but those weren't drugs. Those were those were medical aids, you know. Uh, I believe he tried to. Colonel uh, Tom Parker's uh, super juice. Oh yeah, kept the king going, and he tried to give a gun to Agnew. For real, it was <laughs> right. like a gold plated or silver plated forty five. Amazing, and, and uh, he he gave it to Agnew after some security thing because they, they wouldn't let him in with a gun. And then when it, he was in Palm Springs with his boys, and it came on the news that Agnew was resigning in shame from the vice presidency, and how son of a bitch, man, I need to get my gun back, <laughs> man. I gotta get that forty five <laughs> back, man. Yeah, <laughs> That's amazing. Great. All right, Bryce. Well, I think you should just take it away. Let's get into this deep dive let's, on Elvis. Let, let's do it. Let's let's begin this deep dive. Michael, I might have to audition you for the role of Priscilla. Are you gonna Are you gonna be okay doing that? Do I have to audition for it, or can I just I do a be offered good, the role? I, I do a pretty good <laughs> Priscilla. Let me <clears throat> let me just hear a couple lines. <laughs> but I don't know what she sounds like, so you should do it. Okay, well, you want me to do Priscilla? Okay, yeah. I'll, I'll do the Priscilla then. Even though it says you in the in, in our little scripty poo here, uh, I'll take the role. <clears throat> here we go. Okay. All right. Scripty poo is the official Hollywood term. <sighs> That's yeah. what we call it. Yeah. Let's deep dive, Club Scouts. The world knows Elvis Presley, all right, but they don't know me. Elvis spoke those words to his longtime confidant and fellow spiritual seeker Larry Geller in the Detroit Hilton just a few months before the world would lose him forever. It was there in his hotel suite that Elvis made his friend promise to one day write about the man that he was at his deepest level. The man that nobody truly knew. Elvis, the truth seeker. Larry would fulfill that promise decades later in a book entitled Leaves of Elvis's Garden. Now, you might be asking yourself, what does Elvis Presley have to do with high strangeness? To which Elvis might say, oh, Just hang on there, Club Scouts. We're going to get to that in a hot minute. Yeah! Now, in case you didn't know it already, I'm a huge Elvis fan, and so is our special guest, Mr. Eric Edelstein. I was first introduced to Elvis by my great friend Jimmy Matteo, whose father was a huge Elvis fan and would play his music throughout the house as they were growing up, much like I do to my kids today. At the time, of course, I knew who Elvis was. I mean, who didn't? But I never gave him too much thought or consideration. That is until he showed me a video of Elvis performing one of his gospel songs from his concert Aloha from Hawaii. And I was mesmerized. The outfit, the hair, the moves, and that voice. My God, that voice. So filled with raw emotion. It was like he was piercing my soul with his. I've been a ride-or-die Elvis fan ever since. For most of the world, Elvis is simply recognized as the king of rock and roll, a hip gyrating, lip-curling, wide-ranging baritone sex symbol. But what they may not know, or at least realize, is not only did Elvis change music, but he changed fashion, culture, even society itself. The 60s practically sprang from Elvis. John Lennon is quoted as saying, Before Elvis, there was nothing. But to the few who knew him best, Elvis was more than a musical sensation and a man who seemed to have the world on a string. 
He was a deep thinker, a spiritual truth seeker, obsessed with reading every book he could get his hands on that held a clue as to the nature of the divine and his relationship to it. The person to put those books in his hand was a man named Larry Geller, a hairstylist from Southern California. You see, it all started back in April of 1964 when Elvis was in his Bel Air home getting ready to go back to work on the movie Roustabout. He needed a trim to his famous black dyed locks and his original hairdresser had recently quit the famed J. Sebring Hair Salon. Now, I say famed because it was literally the first of its kind. I mean, a hair salon for men that focused on the beauty of men's hair, not like the standard barbershops which would charge about a dollar. These guys charged 10. And everyone from Brando to Steve McQueen and even old Blue Eyes, Frank Sinatra himself patronized the place. Also, you may remember the name Jay Sebring because him and his ex-girlfriend Sharon Tate, as you may recall, were the victims of the Manson family murders. But that's yep. a story for another mm-hmm. day. <clears throat> now, when we finally go into true crime, yeah, which will need <laughs> to get our numbers 13. up. Yeah, that's right. our final form. <laughs> <laughs> now, seeing as how Elvis's hairstylist was no longer working there, a 24-year-old Larry Geller answered the call and was given the job an opportunity that would change both of their lives forever. Geller arrived on the scene past the guarded gates lined with crowded fans and led into the house where he was introduced to the legend himself. How you doing? I'm Elvis Presley. Why don't we go back here where we can talk and do the dang thing? Larry shampooed Elvis's hair in his bathroom sink and began to cut. (laughs) At first, it must have seemed like it might just be another celebrity cut. But this wasn't just any old celebrity. This was Elvis Presley. And when Larry finished cutting his hair, he looked in the mirror and liked what he saw. You nailed it, Larry. Let me ask you something, man. I mean, you're a great hairstylist and all, but who are you really? What I mean to say is, what are you really all about? What makes you tick, man? Larry, caught like a deer in the headlights, was at a loss for words, but somehow managed to respond. Well, obviously, I'm a celebrity hairdresser, but I guess what I'm interested in more than anything else is trying to discover things like where we come from, why we're here, and where we're going. Not sure if he said too much. He looked at Elvis, only to see his eyes begin to light up. Man, just keep on talking. You just keep right on talking, Larry. Larry continued and began to tell Elvis all about his search for answers and his passionate interest in different religions and spiritual philosophies and all the books he's read and how he felt that there just must be a purpose to this life and that the world couldn't have just sprang from nothing and that the materialists had it wrong. They were missing an important piece to the puzzle and that there must be a purpose for everything, including his life. Elvis was hanging on every word. And what is your purpose, Larry? To which Larry responded, Well, if there is a purpose, then my purpose is to discover my purpose. Whether or not that takes years or a lifetime, it doesn't matter. That's what we're born to do. Elvis looked like he'd been slapped. Shaking his head side to side, he replied, Whoa! Whoa, man! Larry, I don't believe it. I mean, what you're talking about is what I secretly think about all the time, man. 
I've always known there had to be a purpose for my life. I've always felt an unseen hand behind me guiding my life. I mean, there has to be a purpose, Larry. There's got to be a reason why I was chosen to be Elvis Presley. For the next few hours, Elvis bared his soul to Larry about the shallowness of the Hollywood lifestyle, about his mother, about the loss of his twin brother, Jesse Guerin, at birth. But most shocking was when Elvis told Larry just how utterly and desperately alone he was. I swear to God, no one knows how lonely I get and, and just how empty I really feel inside. And with that, Elvis burst into tears. <sighs> oh God, Larry, I'm just so lonesome sometimes. Larry couldn't believe what he was witnessing and thought to himself, what is happening here? Then there was a knock on the door. Uh, Elvis, is everything all right in there? Leave us alone, damn it! I'll be out in a minute. As Larry checked his watch, he told Elvis that he should probably get back to the shop and that it was an honor and a pleasure speaking to him. To which Elvis replied, I'll tell you what, Larry. I got a better idea. Why don't you quit your job at the salon and come work for me full time? Oh, and bring me some of them books you were talking about. Larry, not believing his ears and sensing some type of cosmic synchronicity, agreed. He went back to his shop and quit right there on the spot, true to his word. And the next morning, he showed up at the Paramount lot at 8 a.m. sharp with a few of his favorite books in tow. And we're going to catch up with Elvis and those books and Larry right after this quick break. That was very NPR. Great transition. <laughs> nice. Nice. We're doing it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All right, and we're back with this week's story of high strangeness, Elvis Lives with Eric Edelstein. Now, can I ask a quick question, Bryce? Of course, yeah. As a listener, how old was Elvis when he met Larry? Around what age? Okay, so this was in, uh, oh, geez. Oh, don't make me do math. I was, it's he, okay. I, he's probably like 26, 27, 28, okay. I think. Okay. Mm. So he's young. Okay, okay. Okay, great. All right. All right. Carry on. Now, the first book which he gave Elvis was The Impersonal Life by Joseph Benner, now considered to be a spiritual classic in large part because of Elvis. A small book which talks about that still small voice inside of us all, which is the divine within. And when Elvis saw that it was published by Sun, 
the legendary studio he first began recording with, Elvis took it as a sign. From that moment on, Elvis and Larry embarked on a spiritual quest together, with Larry serving as a sort of spiritual advisor to the king. Larry would provide the books, and Elvis would pour through them with an insatiable appetite, underlining passages and phrases, and writing questions and thoughts in the margins. As all of this was taking place, the rest of Elvis's friends, who all worked for him, known as the Memphis Mafia, a moniker coined by Elvis fans due to their abrasive tactics to keep the king safe, were wary of Larry. Even Priscilla herself was skeptical, probably because Elvis seemed to be on a new mission and started spending less and less time acting like a spoiled teenager. Elvis would invite Larry up to his bedroom, which was off limits to just about everyone else save for Priscilla, to pour over the books Larry had brought him and have hour-long philosophical discussions. From Priscilla Presley's book, Elvis and Me. We were all threatened by Elvis's involvement with Larry. It was keeping him from us. It seems as if Elvis was always off alone reading esoteric books or deep in discussion with Larry about God's master plan for the universe. Their relationship would not only cause a drastic change in Elvis, but it would create tension, jealousy, and fear within the group. Although Elvis tried to include his friends, and especially Priscilla, in his newfound passion for spiritual development, by reading to her almost on a nightly basis, it just never had the same effect. Dang it! Things will never work out between us, Scylla, because you don't show any interest in me and my philosophies. Elvis not wanting to look foolish in front of his friends, or worse, lose their respect, asked Larry to become a conduit of sorts between himself and the rest of the group by helping spread some spiritual truths to his buddies whose only real interest seemed to be football, partying, and girls. Although Elvis's plan backfired because Larry in turn became a punching bag for Elvis's buddies to direct insults and snide remarks that they wouldn't dare hurl at their boss. Whatever you say, Swami Balami. <laughs> Didn't seem to bother Larry or Elvis all too much, though. They were on a journey together, and Elvis recognized that everyone was on their own path. As Elvis began reading more and more books on everything from Gnostic Christianity to metaphysical philosophy, he became almost desperate to have an experience of his own. I'm doing the work, Larry. I'm baby-stepping. When am I going to have me one of these mystical experiences? To which Larry would simply reply, These things can't be forced, Elvis. When the time is right, it will happen. You just have to trust and put your ego aside for it to happen. And almost like everything else in Elvis's life, on a bus trip through the Arizona desert, approaching the sacred mountains of the Hopi Indians on Route 66, he got his wish. Elvis, of course, was at the helm of his decked-out Dodge motorhome with Larry riding shotgun and Red West, Jerry Schilling, and Billy Smith sitting behind him talking. When out of the clear blue sky, a lone cloud appeared seemingly out of nowhere and Elvis blurted out, Whoa! Hey, man, you see that? Larry! Man, I'll be a monkey's uncle. You seeing what I'm seeing, Larry? That's Joseph Stalin's face up there. <laughs> Larry looked for himself and couldn't believe his eyes. An exact cloud picture of Joseph Stalin. The face, the mustache. It was uncanny. Man, 
Just what in the Sam hell is going on here? Why, why Stalin? I don't get it. Why? Why Stalin, Larry? And as Larry turns to look at the cloud again, only to see it dissipate, he sees Elvis is still caught in its luminescence. As Elvis's eyes go wide and fill with tears, he pulls the bus over and drags Larry out to the shoulder of the road. Larry, it happened. It happened. When I saw the face of Stalin up there, I thought to myself, why Stalin? He was one of the most evil men who ever lived. Is it a projection of something that's inside me? Is God trying to show me what he thinks of me? And then your words about surrendering and getting rid of the ego just kept rattling around in my head and I cried out to God, is that really what you think of me? All I want to know is the truth and experience you. Please, God, show me the way. Destroy me if that's what it takes. And then it happened. It exploded inside of me. The face of Jesus. And he smiled at me, piercing my heart and every fiber of my being with his divine light. For the first time in my life, I know the truth. I never have to doubt it again. Just then, Red West stuck his head out the door and said, Hey boss, you all right? God damn it, Red, I'm fine. Now get your ass back in the truck, you coconut-headed motherfucker. Hey, fuck you. Elvis had had his first mystical experience, but it wouldn't be his last. He dove even deeper into spiritual understanding, and although the members of his Memphis Mafia had no interest in Elvis's quest for enlightenment, he had no problem sharing his books and stories with a wide variety of women. Like the time he set out to save Deborah Wally, who had played the female lead in Gidget Goes Hawaiian, who at the time <laughs> seemed to be lost in a sea of spiritual doubt and confusion. Elvis told her, Now look, we only got this moment together, so let's have it completely. No holding back. No wasting time on trivialities. I've got the word. I want to give it to you. I'm not a man. I'm not a woman. I'm a soul, a spirit, a force. I have no interest in anything of this world. I want to live in another dimension entirely. It was according to Wally the turning point in her life. His music also took on a new meaning as well. He decided to record and release an album made entirely of gospel hymns as a public expression of his evolving spiritual life. He took months meticulously pouring over countless selections from his own LPs that he had assembled over the years. He listened to hundreds of famed black gospel singers from the past, some on old worn out scratchy 78 RPM records. He told Larry, Man, you see Larry, black musicians, they have more soul in their little finger than most whites have in their whole bodies. People call me the king like I invented rock and roll or something. No way, man. Not even close. It all goes way, way back to the days in the old deep south when the slaves were forced to work their lives away. I mean, they knew what real pain and suffering was all about. They used to sing and pour their hearts out to God just to make it through another day. That's where real gospel music comes from. And that music found its way right into the churches. And then white folk picked up on it and began singing those same slave songs in their own way, in their own churches. Then that music went beyond the churches and grew into honky-tonk and Dixieland. It spread north to St. Louis and Chicago, 
where the blues and jazz took off. Then in time, it developed into rhythm and blues, and then finally rock and roll. You see, the truth is, Larry, I was just lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time. And all I did was take their music and introduce it to a wide audience. In May of 1966, Elvis recorded How Great Thou Art in the RCA Recording Studio in Nashville. But before he left his motel room, while everyone was packing the tour bus, he told Larry to stay behind to meditate and pray with him. Larry, millions and millions of people around the world are going to hear this album. It's not rock and roll, man. This is God's music. And you know as well as I do that the Lord works in mysterious ways. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close our eyes, still ourselves, and meditate. I can't be a channel if my ego is in the way. So I'm not going to use my voice or even get out of this chair until I'm guided by that still, small voice within. He turned out the lights, and they both sat there silently in the dark for about 20 minutes until Elvis opened his eyes, and then as, as a tear ran down his cheek, he said, I can remember the first time I ever wanted to sing. I was about three years old, and I was sitting on my mama's lap in church, and I felt a sudden, unexplainable urge to run up and sing with the choir. They were singing hymns, and I just, I ran right up there, Larry, to the choir before anyone could stop me. You see, all I ever wanted to do was sing for people and make them happy. Elvis stood up. So be it. I'm ready. The king sang with the voice of an angel that day and would go on to land his first ever Grammy win for Best Sacred Performance in 1967 for How Great Thou Art. In fact, Elvis would win all three of his Grammy Awards in gospel categories. He took home the Best Inspirational Performance category in 1972 for He Touched Me. And two years later, he won that category again for a live version of How Great Thou Art. While Elvis felt a whole new serenity to his life, to the guys it seemed more like madness, and they felt increasingly alienated, resentful, and angry all at once. Even Priscilla felt that Elvis was becoming too spiritual, and she thought that she, he might be having some type of nervous breakdown. In the backyard of their Bel Air home, Priscilla would find Elvis staring up at the night sky for long periods of time until the early morning hours. She recalls a time she became concerned when Elvis kept having almost daily visions and kept talking about going off in a spaceship and how every now and again he saw angels in the sprinklers. From her book, Elvis and Me. As if in a trance, he continued staring at the water for a few minutes and then he began moving toward them. I have to go. You stay here, Satnan. They're trying to tell me something and he wandered off towards the golf course in pursuit of his vision. As the years rolled along, Michael, yes, you have a Michael question. Michael has a question. What is Satin? Satin. Satin. That's, that's what they called each other, like little little nicknames that they call each other, like me and my wife Shatnin. use the word puss. But uh, to Elvis and Priscilla, it was Satin. Now, as the years rolled along, and Elvis's popularity grew on a global scale, so too came the heartaches that are unavoidable in any life, including that of a king. <laughs> Priscilla ultimately divorced him, and it seemed one by one his friends abandoned him. 
but it was a debilitating addiction to pills that cost Elvis his life on August 16, 1977. He died reading a book that Larry had just given him. Clutched to his chest, it would forever be his last. As if by design, it held a strange connection to his vision that he beheld in the Arizona desert oh so long ago. The book was titled, A Scientific Search for the Face of Jesus by Frank O. Adams. A rare book about a doctor and his patient and their methodical search for the face of a man who lived more than 2,000 years ago. Now, for the sake of time, I've opted not to go into so many other incredible aspects of Elvis's life. For example, his belief in his ability to heal others by what is commonly referred to as the laying on of hands, nor the strange blue light that his father Vernon recalled surrounding their one-bedroom shack in Tupelo during Elvis and Jesse's birth. Now, I did know that. I did know that. It might be from this show or a book I read, but I did know about that blue light. Yes, yes. Both that I would certainly constitute high strangeness. However, there is one last idea that I would like us to explore. And that idea is that through Elvis's dedication to spiritual ascension and an expanded consciousness, perhaps, just perhaps he was able to fulfill another one of his deepest lifelong wishes, to fly around uninhibited in a spaceship. I ask you, dear BCC listeners, to please recall an earlier episode of our podcast, episode number 95, The Green Man, with my friend and special guest, Greg Sipes, who's most well-known for his various roles as a voiceover artist, including voicing beloved characters such as Michelangelo from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Beast Boy from Teen Titans. Greg told us a story that not only blew us away, but it's a story that's never left my mind, a story that I believe holds clues as to the powers of the human spirit. It was Greg's personal account of how a few years ago when he and his best friend Ben Keogh Elvis's grandson, through his daughter Lisa Marie, had been on the big island of Hawaii at Lisa Marie's private estate, relaxing while on vacation. One night, they decided to take a walk along the property's secluded private black sand beach, where in the inky black darkness, they spotted a strange luminescent light in the sky that seemed to be zigzagging its way toward them. A classic UFO, if you will. Well, before they knew it, They were both somehow inexplicably beamed aboard the spaceship, if that's in fact what it was, only to see Elvis awaiting their arrival in an almost angelic form, wearing a shiny gold jumpsuit, who with an unmistakable gaze gave them a nod of loving recognition and approval and said, Hey boys. Before being beamed back down to the beach, possibly having been interrupted or cut short by a military presence, that it had at that moment began shining spotlights into the sky, at the craft, and onto the beach in their direction. Which got me thinking, could there be a connection between illumination on Earth and an illuminated afterlife in the form of what we consider a UAP or a UFO? I think so. But what do you think, dear listener? Now, before we go into any discussion further, I'd actually just like to acknowledge, as well as extend all of our deepest sympathies 
Love and condolences to the Presley family, as well as Greg, who not only lost his best friend, Ben Keo a few years back, but also the recent and tragic loss of Lisa Marie Presley as well. Greg and Ben were really close, and my heart goes out to him, as well as to the Presley family, friends, and the fans world over. And that's how Elvis lives. So what do you guys make of all this? Wow, this is maybe your tour de force. <laughs> you know, I I mentioned Quentin Tarantino earlier, but to quote his movies, his movie The Inglorious Bastards, this might be this might be your masterpiece, Bryce. <laughs> what a tour de force performance. It's a topic I'm certainly passionate about. Eric, I know you probably knew who Larry Geller was. Well, Bryce, now I get to tell you that I've met Larry Geller. What? What? Yeah. I went to, oh, I'm such a nerd, and I go to any and every Elvis screening and have. I moved out here in 2001. Wow. And any Elvis screening I go to, and then there was one of them that was about Elvis's spiritual life, mm. and Larry Geller was there, and I just had to go up to him. Wow. I and had what, to. And what he was, was your impression he, of him? He was very cool. He was definitely guarded, but also he was there indicating, I think he's okay being recognized. Wow, and, I, you know, okay. he definitely has kind of a Svengali air about him. Mm. But it's amazing because if if Elvis hadn't hired him, he still would have been working at the Jay Sebring Salon. And yeah. who knows what would have happened with him with the Manson thing. So, yeah, it's yeah. kind of unreal. Yeah, I also officiated Larry Geller's granddaughter's wedding. how crazy is that and then you're really gonna laugh it's all one song i also officiated a wedding bryce you're gonna go crazy at graceland oh my god this was a little over a year ago and to prepare the morning of believe it or not my buddy right before i went was like you're going to memphis you're gonna go to al green's church right wow what do you mean and Al Green has a church there. And it was the first one back before COVID. And 20 I minutes in, that. Al Green came in. And he gave you all the energy I needed to officiate with Elvis energy. Wow. Whoa. But what was so cool was the current... They had a bunch of his stuff out of storage. Yeah. And they were all the spiritual books. Or at least oh, a bunch of them. Because there were yep. hundreds. But yep. I just went through... And my wife is laughing about what a nerd her husband is. I just got on Amazon at Graceland. And started ordering all these books. Mm-hmm. So now I've got a hilarious nerdy bookshelf over here of all of Elvis's spiritual books. Yes. But I also feel there's, <laughs> there's answers to them. And that yeah. was what I asked Larry about was the impersonal life. Mm-hmm. Because I do find that it's it's fascinating to me. And there's something kind of supernatural and amazing about source energy. And Elvis would always say, be still and know that I am God. Meaning right. whatever you think this is, is, is within you. But it's yeah. also these books are so esoteric and so hard to get through. And you Mm. just kind of come away with, you know, how brilliant Elvis was. And to me, all this stuff is as interesting. If anything, the the quibble with Elvis was they left late Elvis is just like this meme to be passed around where to me, you know, where he's not looking great at the end. Later Elvis is the most amazing Elvis, both musically and as the study of a character. Because for me, like, put on the Elvis record, Almost in Love. (laughs) That's a guy after Priscilla leaves him that is almost in love. You feel this heartbreak in his voice up until the the damn meme is one of the most incredible performances ever of of Elvis's last. 
where they just put Austin Butler in this horrific makeup. And I think if there's anything taken away from that movie, it's like, hey, there's a lot more Delves than this. And it it didn't just turn into this sad cautionary tale. The no. later years are also incredibly interesting. And you just brought that home tonight. Man, wow. That is so wild, man. Uh. So do you, do you guys think that he was trying in those later years to achieve a type of enlightenment that would allow him some sort of deification after his death? I, I don't think so. He was looking for... I mean, maybe deification is the wrong word, but some sort of eternal life after you know, after death. It was a quest that started when he was just a young, young boy. You see, you have to understand that his twin brother, Jesse Guerin, they didn't have enough money to go to a hospital where he probably could have survived. You know, there was a great mm-hmm. chance that Jesse would have been <clears throat> alive and well, and it... it carried with Elvis to the day he died, that what would have happened? He tortured himself with it. If, if my brother would have lived, you know, and he always felt that he was living for two. And, uh, you know, so his quest for looking for answers, what is my purpose of, of being here was with him to the very, and you have to understand like in the movie, Elvis, he, he was going to those, to those black churches early, early on. He was the only white kid in Tupelo almost hanging out. And he would go to these churches and just like light up like a light bulb, you know, and just so from the day he was born, he's always been searching. So yes, he was on a quest uh, for enlightenment or for just spiritual understanding. And, and as it says in the Bible, seek and ye shall find. And I do believe that Elvis found. Well, I mean, too, it was just interesting going back to what you're saying about him being so recognizable that he did kind of become a deity after he died. He became an iconic. I mean, he was an iconoclast. Yeah. People have altars set up for Elvis in the way that they would other religious figures. So I, it's just interesting to me that on, on a very material level, he has achieved immortality, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, well you but have, there that's... could be, there could be, that he also transcended his spirit in a way that like he gets to zip around on UFOs maybe uh on I mean, the other, on the other side it's a great point because if you think about Graceland they get over 600,000 visitors a year and on the anniversary of his death it's a it's a vigil right and when people go to Graceland and Eric you'll attest to this it's not like visiting a place it's a pilgrimage Right. It's like going to Mecca. It's it's a religious experience. If you're if you're an Elvis fan and you've been touched by his music. No, you can't say that about any other place. You know what I mean? Do you guys think that in his life he like achieved a degree of like satisfaction on this quest or or like was it? Like from what you know and what he said, or, or was he sort of like always searching? Like, do, do you think he reached a kind of a point of spiritual satisfaction with this? Well, he 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 got it on that Arizona desert, and and you know when he saw Joseph Stalin <laughs> well, turn into the face of Jesus Stalin? Christ. Well, because there's this thing, and this is a deep esoteric thought too, that things will be revealed in the form of the Antichrist and the Christ. 
So, oh. so when he saw that Joseph Stalin, he was wondering why, but then he figured out later, like so many avatars before him, you know, you must confront the antichrist in order to see the Christ, you know, and that's exactly what happened to him. Now, now once it did happen, it sustained him for, for a while, but like any drug, you know, and especially Elvis, he just wanted more and more. And like even Priscilla recalls, he started having visions on almost a daily basis. Now you asked about the pills and I'm sure that didn't help, but, um, you know, I don't know how much of that influenced an ethnogenic mystical experience or not, but but he was talking to, like he said, he he thought he was communing with angels uh, in those sprinklers on the Bel Air Country Club golf course, uh, and you where know, else would they? Be? <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, it was it it was deep for him. It it was his purpose more so than than the music in a sense. Eric, do any of this stuff knowing about Larry Geller and being a fan, like, is there any of this stuff in Elvis's spiritual quest that you recall or jumped out at you or anything in these books? You were like, this is wild. I mean, all of it. Elvis's total extremes. And then the amazing thing about Elvis is when he got into one thing, he'd get into it a thousand percent, <laughs> bring in all the Memphis mafia <laughs> So like he'd get into horses and then they all had horses. They all had stables. They all had RVs. <laughs> right. Well, the spiritual quest and a, a lot of the really intensive Larry Geller stuff was, was pre pills. Mm. He, he really mm. kind of relapsed deep in that after the Aloha from Hawaii special, yeah. but tons of the Larry Geller stuff was, was definitely pre pre pills. Yeah. And he mm. would bring in the girls that were outside Graceland waiting for him. And the security guards would come in. And I'm sure they thought that they were going to, you know, play records and have a have some drinks and hang out with the king. Well, he would stand in front of the assembled group and preach. Mm -hmm. And he would read from the Bible, the impersonal life and all this other stuff. But then he would interpret his own music. You know, the Bible says it's as hard for a rich man to get into heaven as a needle through a camel's ass. But that's not true because I'm rich and I'm going to heaven. <laughs> And like <laughs> these people would leave and be like, they, Elvis didn't, th there was no romance. There was no drinking, partying. It was him earnestly preaching from his books. And he truly mm -hmm. felt that that was the focus of his life. And he wore all the different uh, religious symbols around his neck because he wasn't going to yeah. be left out of heaven on a technicality. Yeah, but there's, right. there's so much to Elvis that's <laughs> fascinating. And I will say this as part of like an esoteric podcast. I think there's a very interesting possible conspiracy theory about Elvis going away to the army. Mm. Because oh, cool. Let's hear it. I, yeah. Well, I think what Elvis did was insane and it was psychedelic in that his music in the mid fifties, all of a sudden you had white kids and black kids dancing together. Wow. And that's dangerous. And there's a guy, I don't know if you ever heard of Big J McNeely, but if you Google him, there's a very famous picture of this really cool honking sax guitarist playing and white kids and black kids alike are like at his feet. And so Los Angeles just banned Big J McNeely from performing in Los Angeles in 1950. Wow. And it was known wow. like, take this somewhere else. You don't want to know what happens here. Man. Because wow. I, that's a dangerous thing. And it's... I always kind of thought this, and then I found something amazing in a Bob Dylan lyric in his in his latest album, Rough and Rowdy Ways, where he's kind of taking you through the history. 
Uh, and he says, sing of Sherman, Montgomery, and Scott. Sing of Zhukov and Patton and the battles they fought. Who cleared the path for Presley to sing. Who carved the path for Martin Luther King. Mm. And I mm. think from Bob Dylan's perspective, Elvis kind of warmed things up towards the civil rights struggle. Wow. And then mm. at that same time, all of a sudden he's drafted in the military. And most baseball players that were drafted managed to find a way out of it or would coach baseball in the office. Elvis has to go to Germany for two years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I certainly believe part of that's the colonel's like, there's so much heat on Elvis. Let's just let it cool off over there and have product ready. But I really think there was something innately dangerous about Elvis. God, that because he yeah. was a uniting force and he was bringing people together for the powers that for the powers that be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, scary. That's clear. And like, there's a reason why Ed Sullivan films him from the waist up. Steve Allen humiliates him, having him sing to a dog mm -hmm. and Elvis knows what they're doing. They're trying to marginalize him huh. because he's dangerous right. because this wow. is not a guy like, I mean, Pat Boone sang some incredible R and B songs, but Elvis is embodying <laughs> what was forbidden to white kids and yeah. playing the music from his heart and soul, and the music nailed it so well. It was part gospel, part rhythm and blues, part country, and a dangerous combination. So in light of that, Bryce, I guess I'd be curious what you think, because I think he was dangerous. And I think <laughs> it makes, definitely. Me, makes me sad that 60s Elvis, I understand feeling so grateful and that Elvis didn't want to leave his manager, mm -hmm. who we know is a criminal, probably killed a guy in Amsterdam and ran. They don't get yeah. into that in the book, but like it's <clears> wild. <throat> But there's another version Whoa. of Elvis in the multiverse that is a power in the 60s. And yeah. I think he's a phenomenal actor. Watch King Creole. His last movie, he's a, he's a priest with Mary Tyler Moore. And the director said Elvis was down doing improv exercises. That's Man. how into it was. And he wanted to embody this doctor. And then the colonel saw him crawling across the floor doing an improv one day and was horrified. And he's like, he'll, he'll see you on set. But, yeah. wow. you know, Elvis could have and would have been dangerous. And you even see that in his classic performances, the comeback performance, Hawaii. Yep. There's a danger to him. Imagine Elvis playing a bad guy. Imagine Elvis, if he did what he wanted to do and play the Chris Christopherson part in Star is Born. Wow. The colonel yeah. wouldn't let wow. him do it because he wouldn't, he wouldn't let Elvis, his boy, be number two. And he wanted, like, a ridiculous amount of the proceeds. That movie would have showed the world Elvis can act. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and uh, it's sad it didn't happen. That's so poignant. And, you know, that that idea about just the dangerous aspect of him and and shipping him off and, and at a time. And, you know, thankfully, at least that's where he met Priscilla uh, was in Germany. Her dad was in the uh, was in the air, the Air Force. Uh, I think it was the Air Force. But that's where he met Priscilla up there. And uh, but, yeah, that 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 is wild. And Elvis really wanted to be taken seriously as an actor. But, you know, he just had this loyalty thing about him to to the colonel because he was doing such a good job at raising his star that uh, that he he it's a huge regret in his life I think and towards the last year of his life as as Larry Geller recalled Elvis had come up with a plan he's like man Larry I want to be I want to start doing yoga and 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 become a vegetarian like you and I want I'm gonna fire fucking Colonel Tom Parker and I'm gonna start. I'm just going to take a year off in Hawaii, man, and I'm just going to relax. And I'm just going to and I'm going to try and look for the dramatic roles that I know I could play. I just got to get just got to get through these last two tours, man, cuz I can't let the fans down. And meanwhile, Larry's thinking, mm. "Fuck, if you just call and cancel 
these last two tours, you might still be enjoying his music today. But you know, as they say, man, the good die young, uh, but they live forever. Amen. Wow. Well, and with that, I think we're going to wrap up this week's session of Bigfoot Collectors Club. Well done, Bryce. Well done, Thank you. Eric. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to have more Eric and more Elvis over on the other side, so come join us over there at Bigfoot Collectors Club. Oh, sorry, patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Um, Bryce, you teased something to me a little earlier about Elvis's mother's haunted attic. Oh my God, there's so much more. Yeah, the attic at Graceland is haunted by Gladys's spirit. Uh, Michael, he was a comic book lover. His old comics. I know Mike, Captain Marvel, Mike, Shazam, as we know him yes. today, but Captain Marvel. They say that I some know. of his old comics might still be up there. We, we should, we should oh, go. I, uh, yeah, let's go check it out. <laughs> let's find him. Yeah, we didn't. All even, right, we didn't even get into his meditation garden and his and his journeys to the Self-Realization Fellowship here in Los Angeles. But we will on the other side. So join us there. All right. All right. Sounds good. Don't forget to uh, click that follow button on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app so you never miss a single episode of BCC. We want to hear from you guys. So rate and review the show while you're over there. And if you drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we might read it on the show like this one. Pierso2 says, Creepy, funny, Makes you think. Really love this podcast. It's the perfect combination of creepy stories, funny moments, and lighthearted stories and thought-provoking topics. Five stars. Awesome. Thank you so much. Be sure to follow us on Instagram. We're going to probably throw up that uh, side-by-side photo of Elvis and the extra from Home Alone over there. So check that out (laughs) at Bigfoot Collectors Club and follow us on TikTok at BCC Pod. And don't forget to write in with your personal paranormal stories to Bigfoot Collectors Club at gmail.com. Include the phrase Elf Files in the subject line. It might just be read on a future episode. As for me, follow me on... uh, Instagram at McMills. Hit me up on Cameo for a personalized video from me to you or a loved one. Eric, where can people find you? I skipped right over you. I, on, it's because I know you're hanging out with us, but where I'm can people find out. you? I'm you here. I'm online. Find me. Let's hang. <laughs> Sounds great, Bryce. <laughs> the internet. Yeah. yeah, I'm here. I'll just say, join us on the other side. We are having a party over there, and you are missing out for just a few bucks a month. Come on. Come on, do it, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where we're headed right now. And I want to say thanks to everybody that's joined the Cosmeteer. Uh, we've been putting out a lot of music over there. There's a lot coming out this month. Uh, it's just, it's been really great. So thanks for all of you who have joined and I mean, uh, come on I, over. I don't want to put you on the spot, but don't you feel like this calls for maybe a little Elvis cover this week? Riley? I, think, I think that could be arranged. I think, I think a little. Could. Little, it could be something. I hope I, I hope I can do it justice. We'll, we'll see. Man, you're gonna be just we'll, fine. I'm sure man. everybody will love it. <laughs> Thanks, All Ken. right, everyone. If we don't see you, I want to thank Eric one more time for joining us. And if you don't, we don't see you on the other side, we'll see you right here next week. Until then, good night and go get regressed, man. Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray and Michael McMillan and scored and engineered by Riley Bray. Our theme song, Come Alone, is by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. 
Do us a favor and support the show and unlock three bonus episodes every month by becoming a member of our Patreon, BCC The Other Side, which can be found at patreon.com slash Bigfoot Collectors Club. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.